Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we have uh, been looking together at the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And we are, uh, we're doing that so that we can foster uh, the habit of prayer in our lives if it's not already there, uh, or to grow the habit of prayer in our lives if it is. Prayer is one of the means of grace, which is the church's way of saying that prayer is one of the places where God has promised to meet with people like us and to share his life with us for our good. And we learn to pray uh, by being around folks who pray. So uh, looking at this prayer that Jesus taught us is uh, a way for us to be around him as he prays it, to listen to him as he prays it, and to think about what he meant for us to be praying as he taught us to pray it. And this morning, we're going to look at the first part of the fifth thing that Jesus told us to ask the Father for. The first part of the fifth thing that he, he told us to ask for, forgive us our debts. So we're going to read from Luke 18 where Jesus tells us a parable uh, about that. It also happens to be a parable about two guys praying. So let me read from Luke 18 for us. I'll read verses 9 through 14. It's printed in the order of worship if you want to follow along there. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into a temple to, to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we remember uh, on this Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, that your spirit uh, has been given as a gift to us. As teacher, as advocate, as comforter. And so we ask that as we uh, talk about this word that we've read and heard together, this word that Jesus, your son, taught us that your spirit would be all of those to us, whatever it is that we need, teacher, advocate, comforter, and that we would know that you are at work in us, that you would show us the grace of Jesus, show us your great love, and that you change us by it. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, the other day, uh, I saw a picture that really cracked me up, a meme on uh, Instagram. And I am very aware that describing uh, dumb things that you have seen on the internet rarely works, but I'm going to give it a try right now anyway. Uh, this picture that I saw was mostly uh, the picture of a, a male lion. Uh, this, uh, this lion's massive, regal face and mane filled about 70% of the frame, and then over to his right, 
uh, there was a middle-aged guy leaning up against this lion, grinning. Um, this guy's head uh, and chest were of almost the size of this lion's entire face. Okay, so that was, that was the picture. I don't know, maybe he was a zookeeper or something, and that was the picture. It was a lion and a little man. <laughs> and the caption said, about to eat this idiot. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. <laughs> It takes a second. That's, that's more of a reaction than I got from the people that I sent that to, believe me. The thing that uh, was funny to me was the reversal, right? The idea that the lion was the one who had to point out the truth of the situation. I mean, we don't use the phrase man-eating lion for nothing, right? I don't care how comfortable this guy had become with that lion. I don't care how compliant the lion had learned to be to get some food from that guy or whatever, but at the end of the day, <laughs> it was still a lion and a little man. And if that lion wanted to eat that little man, he would absolutely, positively be able to, and that is the truth. Pretending that it isn't true, ignoring that it isn't true, denying that that isn't true would not change a thing about it. And church, praying forgive us our debts, requires that same kind of unblinking honesty about the truth. Namely, that we're the people who need to pray it. We're the people who need to pray, forgive us our debts. I mean, just think about this for a moment. Jesus gave us this whole prayer, and he gave us this line in this prayer. He gave this prayer to us as a gift. He gave it to us for our good. He gave it to us in love. And he gave us this prayer that has a line in it that assumes that our books are in the red most of the time. That's what it means to be in debt. That's the word that, that Matthew records Jesus using when he taught us this prayer, debt. It means that we, that we owe something. It's one of the many and varied words that Scripture uses to describe sin and its effects in your life and mine. And this is the thing we owe. This is what we owe. We just talked about it in confession. We owe this zealous and thoroughgoing love of God and thoroughgoing and zealous love of neighbor every day. And the truth is, church, we can't pay up. And we don't. We fall short of that not only in the things that we have done, but we fall short of it in the things that we have left undone. And Jesus knows this about us. He knows our frame, like the songwriter said. He knows this about us, and he loves people like us too much to pretend that that is not true. He loves us too much to ignore it. He loves us too much to deny it. He is not going to let people who follow him in faith, and that is who this prayer is for. He is not going to let people who follow him in faith go through life hobbled and weakened and tore up and caged in by our own sin. He's not going to do it. So in grace and for our good, he says, when you pray, say, forgive us our debts. <laughs> and church, to pray that prayer is to put ourselves in line with the truth of the situation, and that always leads every time to mercy and to forgiveness and to their beautiful effects, which are always freedom and joy freedom and joy, the kind of stuff we were made for. 
So Jesus, of course, didn't just teach us to pray that. He told stories about this all of the time, like the one that we just read together. And usually when Jesus tells a parable, uh, he just jumps right into it. If there's any preface at all from Jesus for a parable, it's usually something like the kingdom of heaven is like this. But every once in a while, the gospel writers will say why Jesus told a parable or why he said this particular parable at that particular place, Luke The gospel writer is fond of doing that, and he does it here. This is what he says in verse 9. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. (laughs) And I'm going to be honest with you, church. When I hear that opener, when when I hear uh, that or I read that from Luke, I think, oh, man, those guys. (laughs) I hate those guys. (laughs) I can't stand people like that. I wish they would just get over themselves. I'm so glad that I'm not like them. Can't wait to hear this parable about somebody else. And before Jesus has uttered a word, I have already found my place in this story. And maybe you can relate. Surprise. Jesus has a story for us. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. You know, a lot of people who were fortunate enough to live in and around Jerusalem would do this. I mean, you could go to the temple anytime to pray, but there were these twice daily sacrifices that were made for all of the people, for all of God's people. They were made in the morning and in the afternoon, and as the smoke rose from those sacrifices, the, the priest would give a blessing, and people really loved to pray then, and you can understand, pretty beautiful. Maybe that's what those guys were doing when they went to the temple to pray that day, and the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed. The Pharisees were a a pressure group. They were a separatist, nationalist group. They were wildly popular, and among their chief concerns was holiness and observance of the law. Um, To make a really, really long and complicated story short, what these guys longed for was what almost everyone else who was a faithful person of God longed for. They longed for God to come and to release them from oppression, which meant Rome at the time. They longed for God to make them free. They longed for God to set them at peace like God promised he would. And when normal, faithful, everyday people looked around their world in the first century, they naturally tried to think, well, what is my role in that? What am I supposed to do for that to happen? (laughs) Some people tried to work out political solutions. Some people resorted to violence and revolution. Some people thought that the answer was just to completely check out of society and live off in the desert. And the Pharisees, for their part, They saw the problem as essentially behavioral. Maybe if we could just be scrupulously holy, they thought, then maybe God would see us. He'd see who his real people are, and he'd be inclined to keep his promises to us. That's who they were, and not all of them were bad guys. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. (laughs) He really liked Jesus. He came to Jesus at night once to kind of broker an agreement with him. You can read about it in John 3. The problem was that Nicodemus didn't fully comprehend the radical nature of the problem. (laughs) And so Nicodemus couldn't quite fathom the radical depth of the solution that God was about to work out. The problem was not, you know, behavior. The problem was death (laughs) and being born again. But Nicodemus came closer that night. 
And I say all of this so that when we hear this guy's prayer, we have some sense of what is behind it, some sense of of what it means for him to pray this prayer as Jesus tells the story. He prays, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners and unjust and adulterers are even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of all that I get. Now that's a pretty rotten prayer on the face of it, and we will get to that. But let me start by saying something that maybe we don't hear often enough or hear at all, really, is that a lot of this stuff is good. I mean, if this is true, if this is true, then this guy's not a liar. He's faithful to his wife. He's a fair man. I mean, people fasted for all kinds of really, really, really good reasons. And this guy's practice was to do it way more than even was required of him. He doesn't just tithe on the stuff that he earns, he tithes on the stuff that he buys. He's over and above. Jesus doesn't say that any of that stuff isn't true. We can give him all the credit we can. But even so, if you fast forward to the end of the story, Jesus said he didn't go back home justified. He wasn't righteous. He wasn't right with God. He walks away super lost, hobbled, and weakened and tore up and just as caged in as he was before he got to the temple that day. What in the world? (laughs) Why? Basil, the, the fourth century bishop from Turkey, wrote that this man prayed as one curved back on himself. As one curved back on himself. As Luke says that he trusted in himself that he was righteous in church, I can only think of one way that anyone would ever feel that they could do that. He was pretending, he was ignoring, he was denying the truth of the situation, that despite all that he did, all of the really, really good stuff that he did, his books were still in the red. He was a fallen man living in a fallen world, and that is a truth that he would not or could not tolerate. That was a truth that he did not want to live with, and so he did what people usually do when they first stare down that truth or when they stare it down for the thousandth time, they curve back in on themselves. We curve back in and we justify ourselves and we scramble to look great or even just look good and we scramble as hard as we can to make other people think that we're great or even just good and we use every tool every tool in our arsenal to do it fear anger flattery gossip whatever it takes we treat others with contempt because as short-lived and as thin as that is it's one of the quickest ways to feel a sense of relief It's one of the quickest ways to just have a little bit of a release from that gnawing feeling that we're not right, that something's wrong. At least I'm, I'm not as bad as they are. At least I'm not like that tax collector over there. At least I'm not like that Pharisee clown. So can you, can you think of one person in this whole wide world that you look down on? Even just a little bit? Even if it's just to yourself and you, and you never say anything to anybody else about it? Can you think of one person? 
then you know exactly what Jesus is talking about. <laughs> and I do too, for sure. And when we face that down and when we feel that feeling and we feel that it's not right, we, we build this big old house of cards and it fools some of the people some of the time and then eventually this stiff breeze comes and it knocks it all down and it makes us so angry and so frantic or it makes us reclusive and sad and despairing, hobbled and weakened and tore up and caged. We try to act like our own saviors curved back on ourselves and when we do it, it brings a lot of pain and misery and hurt and trouble down on our own heads and the heads of people around us. Curving back on ourselves is kind of the oldest story in the book, church. Well, thank God there's another guy. <laughs> thank God there is another guy in Jesus' story, the aforementioned tax collector. He, he worked for the overlords. <laughs> he was a toady for Rome. And he made his living by skimming the cream off of the top of his neighbor's hard work and cash. He was a crook. And he was the worst kind of crook because he was a legal crook, a sanctioned crook. By default, he is precisely what the Pharisee thanked God that he was not. By default, this guy is an extortioner. By default, he is unjust. His checking account is flush. But his books are definitely in the red, and nobody would argue with that. But he has come to the temple that day to pray, which is remarkable, and it makes you think, I wonder if something's up. <laughs> his way in that place is carefully composed as a contrast to the way of the Pharisee in that place. He stands far off. And he can't lift his eyes up to the heavens. And he, and he flails himself. He beats himself in pain. There is no thanks being given. There are no lists of great moral acts that spill off his lips. There is no comparison made to anyone else in the world. This is what he prays. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Church, this is a man who refused to curve back on himself, he would not do it. I don't know, you know, maybe he's tried it before and he's come up short like everyone else in the world who's ever tried that before. Maybe all the money kept him happy or, or distracted or at least numb, but now that drug is not hitting like it used to hit. Maybe all the stuff the money got him, the nice house, the long coat, the rings, the hangers-on, the status, the influence, maybe all that stuff had over time made his denial more palatable for a little bit. It had made his pretending, at least for a while, seem like it was more real. It made it easier to ignore the truth of the situation. But empty is always empty, and messed up is always messed up. I don't know, but I do know he woke up that morning and he finally faced up to the truth that his books, not the tax books, they were fine. But the only books that mattered, they were in the red. He'd had enough of being hobbled and weakened and tore up and caged, so he went to the place where he thought maybe there was a chance he'd get heard. And he said the truest thing he could think to say. God be merciful to me, a sinner. 
And the word that Luke uses for mercy there, it's not the usual word for mercy. It's, it's a heavier word, a weightier word that refers to atonement, that refers to guilt being covered. Cover me up, God. Hide me. Make me look different to you. Do something that I can't do for myself. Put, put some clothes on me, some new clothes, clothes I don't have, clothes I could never buy, clothes I could never make in a million years. He doesn't ask God to lower the bar so that he can step over and be okay. He doesn't refashion all of the badness of his life into something that isn't so bad after all. He doesn't list out some good things he's done in the past, and he doesn't make any dumb promises that he'll do better tomorrow. Be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all I've got. (laughs) That's all I have. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified. He went home right, church, and he went home free. And he went home with the kind of joy that never shakes and that never falters, the kind of joy that can never get taken away ever. He went home restored to his father. And church, when Jesus told this story about these two guys praying, he knew for sure what it would take to cover that guy's guilt. Jesus' death is what covers people like you and me And his resurrection is what makes us alive again. And Jesus did that in love. He did it to lead us into the freedom and joy he made us for so that we can go back home right. So that we can go back home free and true. His atonement for our sins is always and forever more than enough in church. He always, constantly offers it to people like us. That is the truth. And that is the truth. It is not just for beginners. It is not just for beginners. From the first day in our life of faith to the last day in our life of faith, if we have breath, Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts. Let me pray for us. Father, help us uh, to have the strength of faith, which we do not have now, which we hardly ever have, but that only comes by your spirit, the strength of faith to not turn back in on ourselves, but to always turn towards you with open hands and honesty to turn back to you for mercy and forgiveness and love and grace, which is plentiful. Father, help us to turn to you for forgiveness, for the forgiveness of our debts. Father, do this so that we can be whole people, (laughs) so that we can people who who go home right, (laughs) who go home free. Father, do this so that we will grow up and mature in our faith and so that we can be a people through whom you love this broken world. Now let's pray uh, together the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.